Don't you ever laugh as a hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in a big white sheet and bury you six feet underneath. They put you in a big black box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a week, then your coffin begins to leak. The worms crawl in and the worms crawl out. The worms play pinochle on your snout. They eat your eyes, they eat your nose, they eat the jelly between your toes. Your stomach turns a slime green and pus pours out like whipping cream. You spread it on a slice of bread and that's what you eat when you are dead. Welcome to Scary Stories to Review in the Dark, a podcast dedicated to giving you honest reviews of horror fiction and nonfiction alike. I'm your host, Tyson Hanks. I'm a published author myself, but I enjoy reading it just as much as I enjoy writing it. This is episode four. In this episode, I'll be sharing my top five favorite horror novels. So lock your doors, turn down the lights, and get ready for scary stories to review in the dark. My number five pick is no stranger to top horror novel lists, and it's for good reason. It's been deemed as one of the best haunted house novels of all time, and the film adaptation of the book is also labeled by some, not me, as the greatest horror film of all time. It also doesn't hurt that it was written by what, in my opinion, is the greatest living horror author today. I'm talking about Stephen King's The Shining. Published in 1977, The Shining is King's third novel, and many fans believe it's his best work. The Shining is about an alcoholic writer named Jack Torrance who takes a job as a caretaker during the off-season at the Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. Jack is accompanied by his wife Wendy and his son Danny. Suffice it to say that Danny is a special kid who possesses psychic abilities that allow him to see the hotel's horrible past. A winter storm blows in and the evil hotel starts to take its toll on the Torrance family. If you're one of those people who says, oh, I don't need to read the book, I saw the movie, I strongly urge you to put that mantra aside for this one. I won't argue that the film version of The Shining is a staple in horror cinema, but trust me when I tell you that the book is a lot different than the screen version. It's worth mentioning that King wrote The Shining based in large part on some of his own experiences, while staying at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado in 1974, not to mention his own struggles with alcoholism. 
The books on my top five list are here for a variety of reasons, but The Shining is definitely the scariest book on the list. It's one of the few novels that have ever given me physical chills while reading it. In fact, I remember reading it on an airplane full of people and breaking out in cold chills. There's no shortage of memorable scenes in the book that contribute to these chills, from the hedge maze outside the overlook to a very interesting fire hose inside. However, for me, and I'm certainly not alone here, it's Mrs. Massey and Room 217 that's the most chilling part of the book. I've already mentioned the film adaptation of The Shining, which was made in 1980 and was directed by Stanley Kubrick. The film stars Jack Nicholson in what many believe is his most memorable role. It should be noted, though, that Stephen King is not a big fan of the film, and he said on many occasions that he didn't agree with the way Kubrick handled the book's themes and characters. For a film adaptation that's true to the book, check out the 1997 miniseries starring Stephen Weber that King wrote himself. Finally, once you've read The Shining, you owe it to yourself to read the sequel, Dr. Sleep, which King published in 2013. My number four spot goes to one of the pillars of horror literature. It's hard to come up with an introductory blurb that does the novel justice, so I'll simply say that number four is none other than Bram Stoker's Dracula. Published in 1897, Dracula is the story of a Transylvanian count, who also happens to be a vampire, who moves to England in search of fresh blood and unwilling victims he can force into his ranks of the undead. When he arrives, Dracula discovers a band of characters willing to oppose him, led by one of literature's greatest heroes, Professor Abraham von Helsing. Dracula is an interesting book on so many levels. On the surface, yes, it's a horror novel, and more specifically, a gothic vampire novel. But dig a little deeper, and you find that it's also a gut-wrenching love story. Take away the fangs and thirst for human blood, and Dracula is one of the most tragic characters in literature, suffering a pain that we mere mortals could never understand. Another element that makes Dracula so interesting is its epistolary format. The story unfolds in a series of diary entries, letters, and newspaper articles. This format had such an impression on me that I used it in a portion of my own novel, Greetings from Barker Marsh. Most of us remember the first real horror novel we read, and for me it was Dracula. Remember those fairs we used to have in grade school? The ones where you'd stew over a catalog for weeks in advance, picking which titles you wanted, only to bask in satisfaction when the day finally came when your order arrived. I was in the fourth grade when that date came for me, and I still have the same copy of Dracula floating around someplace. Dracula is also one of the few books that I've read more than once. In fact, I've lost track of how many times I've read it. My favorite version is the full cast audiobook, helmed by none other than Tim Curry as Professor Van Helsing. It's well worth the audible credits if you're into audiobooks. As for adaptations, Dracula might just be the reigning king in terms of film and stage versions. Given how influential the book has been on the last 120 years of horror in every medium, it shouldn't be a surprise that it has a place on my top five list.
My number three position goes to Ira Levin's Rosemary's Baby. Published in 1967, Rosemary's Baby would go on to sell more than 4 million copies, making it the top horror novel of that particular decade. The book is about a woman named Rosemary Woodhouse who moves into a historic New York City apartment building with her husband Guy. The couple are welcomed by an eccentric elderly couple named Minnie and Roman Castavet. Rosemary doesn't care for the couple, but Guy, on the other hand, begins paying them frequent visits. Rosemary becomes pregnant and soon develops a slew of complications that Minnie Castavet is happy to treat with bizarre home remedies. Meanwhile, Guy's acting career begins to take off at an incredible pace. Ultimately, Rosemary gives birth and discovers that the neighbors are actually a witch's coven and Guy isn't the father of her child after all. I read Rosemary's Baby much later in life and I regret waiting as long as I did. It's a fast read and in my opinion, Ira Levin displays some of the most brilliant writing ever put down on the page. There's absolutely no fluff in the narrative or dialogue and it doesn't hurt that the plot is scary as hell. What won it a spot on my top 5 list, though, is something I didn't expect at all going into it. I'm talking about humor. There are sections of this book that I found funny as hell, specifically Levin's take on the Jewish and Catholic religions. Horror and comedy have always gone hand in hand, and for that reason, Rosemary's Baby will forever be a must-read for me. The number two spot is much loved by many fans my age, and it also happens to be the inspiration for this podcast's title. I'm of course referring to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I opened this episode by singing, and I use that term loosely, an excerpt from The Hearst Song, one of the entries in the first book of the beloved Scary Stories collection. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a collection of children's horror stories written by Alvin Schwartz. The first book in the series was published in 1981. Two more volumes were released in 1984 and 1991, respectively, and were titled More Scaries to Tell in the Dark and Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. If you were lucky enough to have read these books back in the day, you know that some of the stories included in the collection are quite scary. But let's face it, it wasn't necessarily the stories that kept us up at night, was it? It was the illustrations. Stephen Gamble did the illustrations for the original books, and the images are some of the most memorable and downright horrific pieces in modern horror artwork. There's a reason that the books stirred up a lot of controversy and complaints and concerned parents. Personally, I think I'm a better person for having read about murder and cannibalism at such a young age, but what do I know? Apparently, parents in the 90s felt differently, as Scary Stories was the number one most challenged book series of that decade. The series was re-released in 2011, but Gamel's original artwork was replaced with more kid-friendly material. Needless to say, those of us who consider the originals to be nothing short of religious text did not support the decision. Thankfully though, the books were re-released in 2017 with the original artwork. Thankfully, my mother wasn't one of those concerned parents, so she got me all three volumes when I was a kid. Most of the stories in the series are rooted in folklore and for some reason I've always found that subgenre of horror fascinating. Some of the stories are more lighthearted and humorous. See The Viper or 
the big toe, and others are pure nightmare seeds. See Meitai Doty Walker, the Red Spot, or Herald. But the series takes the number two spot on my list not only for the narrative content, but for the artwork. I simply cannot praise Gamel's talents enough. If you've never seen the illustrations, you owe it to yourself to Google the images right now. On second thought, you should skip Google and head straight to Amazon, where you should order the entire series with the original artwork. You and your soon-to-be slightly disturbed children will thank you. And now for the number one spot. Okay, so I cheated a bit there and inserted a clip from the film adaptation, but my number one favorite horror novel is Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Published in 1975, Salem's Lot was Stephen King's second novel. It's a story about a man named Ben Mears, a writer who returns to his childhood hometown of Jerusalem's Lot. He soon discovers that a good portion of the town is transforming into vampires. The book introduces a good cast of memorable characters, including the young Mark Petrie, Susan Norton, Father Callahan, Richard Straker, and of course, the book's chief antagonist, Kurt Barlow. If the plot and cast sound slightly familiar, it's because Salem's Lot is very much a retelling of Dracula set in rural Maine in the 70s. Just don't expect any of the romantic elements you get in Stoker's novel. The characters are fascinating, but for me, what makes this such a great book is the setting. Jerusalem's Lot is a character in and of itself. What's more, Salem's Lot isn't the first time King wrote about the town. He originally wrote a short story called Jerusalem's Lot while he was in college, even though the story wouldn't appear in print until the short story collection Night Shift, which was published in 1978. I grew up in a small rural town, so it was easy for me to associate the characters in the book to real people in my hometown. I think that's part of what makes King such an incredible author. He can take the everyday and make it truly horrific. Ultimately though, Salem's Lot is just scary as hell. There are plenty of scenes that come to mind, but for me, the scene where the town gravedigger is burying a young boy named Danny Glick is probably one of the scariest, best written scenes I've ever had the pleasure of reading. Seriously, nothing else in modern literature compares for me. As a little icing on the cake, King published a story called One for the Road in the aforementioned Night Shift collection. The story is about a man who is traveling through Maine during a winter snowstorm with his wife and daughter when the car gets stuck. He goes for the help and winds up in a local tavern where he informs the bartender and a few patrons, to their horror, that he left his family stranded in a nearby and deserted town. The name of that town? Jerusalem's Lot. 
you can probably guess where the story goes from there, but you owe it to yourself to read it on your own. In my opinion, you should track down the audio version of this story if you can, as the narration and sound effects make it even more chilling. Like many adaptations, Toby Hooper's 1979 miniseries isn't nearly as good as the book, but it's still worth a watch, especially for the infamous window scene and the scene with Jeffrey Lewis that I just played. Well, there you have it, my top 5 horror novel picks. As for scores, I give every one of these books a whopping 10 out of 10, and every serious fan of horror literature should read every one of them. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and consider leaving a review on whatever platform you've listened to the show. I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank Shane Ivers for the theme song that opens scary stories to review in the dark. The song is called Mystery Unsolved, and you can find it and any of Shane's other works at www.silvermansound.com. You can also find the link in the show notes for this episode. You can check out my own books by visiting my website at www.tysonhanks.com or on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy your books. I'll see you in a couple of weeks for a new episode of Scary Stories to Review in the Dark. In the meantime, keep reading horror and stay spooky.